Good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. You know, I heard that we're going to have uh, a hymn sing. I was wondering how politically correct that was. A her sing. A person sing, an it sing. I don't know. What do you say these days? You're, uh, you're going to be wrong either way, right? But everybody have a good week? Good week? A lot to celebrate this week, right? <laughs> well, I hope you celebrated on Monday because Monday was National Houseplant Appreciation Day. It's a big day on my calendar. Hope you appreciated your houseplants by giving them some water or, I don't know, miracle Grow or something like that. Um, how about Friday? Friday was a big day, National Use Your Gift Card Day. Oh, well, anybody get any gift cards for Christmas? No? Just a couple? Really? Okay, Friday you were supposed to be using them. Hopefully you did. But the big one, the big one, friends, is today. It's today. Well, it is also National Without a Scalpel Day. It is. And I realize that sounds crazy, right? Because everybody wants to live their life without a scalpel. But let me explain to you what this is a celebration of. It is the celebration of the advancement of minimally invasive technologies to treat diseases. And being that I spent 30 years in healthcare working in minimally invasive procedures, this is really a cool day. It really is. Some of the things that they can do these days to treat uh, neurologic con conditions and cardiac conditions without a scalpel, it's pretty amazing. But I did not come here to talk to you about that this morning. I came here today to continue in our quest for knowledge, godly learning. We said that our goal was to grow in the knowledge of God and grow in the knowledge of His Word. Godly learning. And I came across this definition of godly learning, and I think it just, it just fits perfectly with what it is we're trying to do here at Hope Church. Now, this comes from a Christian college professor by the name of Jeffrey Greenman, and he defines godly learning as this. It is learning undertaken as an intentionally spiritual pursuit motivated by a desire to grow in the love of God, grounded in God's truth, and aimed at being equipped for faithful service to Christ as a representative of his kingdom. That's a little wordy, but I think he nails it here. This is exactly what we're trying to do. Our mission and our vision statements really help you to understand that. Our motivation, as he says, is love. Love, love for God, the love of God, which is what compels us, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us it's the love of Christ that compels us, that drives us. It's the reason that we do what we do. And our goal is being equipped then for faithful service. Now, is there, um, 
Anything that plays an important role in this that you can think of? Any, anything that helps us in this learning? Any, any ideas? Word, the Holy Spirit, absolutely, absolutely. The Holy Spirit. We are in the second week of our series of messages on the Holy Spirit. And this series, friends, I believe is vitally important for a number of reasons. And it's important because there's a lot of confusion about who the Holy Spirit is. We talked a little bit about this last week, the confusion because... In, in history, we've seen the Holy Spirit referred to as the Holy Ghost, right? The, ooh, the Holy Ghost causes a lot of confusion, right? But let me illustrate further where there is some confusion. I have some images here. I downloaded these from the Internet. Forgive me if they're not great, but I think you'll get the point. If you could put up that first image. Okay, I'm going to ask you, who is this? And before you answer, you know, yeah, older gentleman, obviously clouds, he's up in heaven, it's God the Father, right? Good. Okay, let's look at the next image. Okay, younger guy, right? Obviously a shepherd, he's carrying a sheep. This is Jesus, right? The one and only Son of God who is in fact God himself. Okay, put up the third image. Okay, who is this? The Holy Spirit, right? And I can understand why it's an image of a dove. I mean, in all four Gospels, they describe the baptism of Jesus and say that the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. Not in the form of a dove, but like a dove. So I I, I get it, but you can see where this would kind of promulgate more confusion about who the Holy Spirit is. I mean, God's a person. Jesus is a person. The Holy Spirit's a bird? Or, or, or a flame? You know, we see that in the sermon titles, a flame. And I, and I understand why it's a flame too, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. But it really, there's no wonder there's confusion about the Holy Spirit. In fact, in fact, I think you'll find this eye-opening. A recent survey of evangelical Christians, these are people who claim to be followers of Christ, this survey found that many hold very unbiblical beliefs. 46% thought that the Holy Spirit was just a force or an energy or something. Not biblical, okay? We're going to see that today. 18%, this is really kind of shocking, 18% even thought that the Holy Spirit can tell a person to do something that is forbidden in the Bible. I mean, you know, it's really kind of shocking, to be honest with you. But it speaks to the need for clear biblical teaching about the Holy Spirit. And that is the focus of this series. That is what we're trying to do grow in our knowledge of the Holy Spirit, grow in our knowledge of God. Now last week we wrestled with the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And through our study we learned that the Holy Spirit is in fact God. 
third member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all are God, but there is only one God. And again, that's kind of that, that Trinitarian idea that's really difficult for us to fully understand, the idea of the Trinity. But the fact is, the Holy Spirit is God. But the fact that he's listed last, right, or, or, or the third member of the Trinity, or that he's depicted as, you know, a bird or a flame or something other than a person, that doesn't mean that he's any lesser than the Father or the Son. They are all equal. Each one is, in fact, God. And remember, we learned last week that it is the Holy Spirit that reveals to us the mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this week, we're going to continue to build on this idea of who the Holy Spirit is. We're also going to look at the question, you know, do I really need the Holy Spirit? Is this something that I need? You know, it was probably good for the disciples. I mean, they had walked with Jesus for three years and he was leaving them. So they probably needed some help. But is this something that, that I need in my life today? Well, to build on our knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is and learn more about what the Holy Spirit does, I want us to look at John chapter 14. John 14, we're going to focus on verses 15 through 30. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth gospel. But, you know, I'm big on context, right? So understand that by the time we get to chapter 14, actually this begins in chapter 13, Jesus has finished his public ministry. Jesus is no longer teaching in public. So what we read from chapters 13 to chapter 17 all take place in the upper room in conjunction with the Last Supper. And the only people present with Jesus at this point are his disciples. And basically what we see in these chapters are his final instructions to those who are to continue the work that Jesus began. Now, does that sound at all familiar to you guys? We've said in the past that part of our job is to continue the work that Jesus began, right? We are his disciples. So when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in chapters 13 through 17, he's speaking to us. He's speaking directly to us. Now, what he does is he, he tells the disciples that he's going to be leaving him. He's going to be leaving him. He says that in chapter 13. Uh, verse 33 of chapter 13, he says, you know, where I'm going, you guys can't come. And, of course, the apostles are confused. And you, you may remember the story. Thomas asked Jesus, you know, where are you going and how do we know the way? And that's when Jesus tells them at the beginning of chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Jesus goes on to tell them that he is going to the Father. And then he says this in verse 17. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. So what I want us to understand here is that Jesus is, is really telling us that keeping his commands is a fair measure of love for God. Now, we know that obedience to his commands means that we need to be obedient to all that Jesus said and all that Jesus taught, but the emphasis here is on the last three commands that Jesus had given his disciples. And we find those in chapter 13. In chapter 13, Jesus had just demonstrated his incredible love for his disciples by washing their feet. And then he commanded them to wash one another's feet. And you know what? That goes for us today too. We are to serve one another. We are to care for one another. Maybe we don't literally go around washing each other's feet, but the command is clear. We are to care for one another. First command. Also in chapter 13, Jesus said, A new command I give you. What was that? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, we are to love others, right? Love God, love others. Two greatest commands. You get those down, you've got it all. You really do. And we're to pattern our love for one another after the love that God pours out on us. And we know that that's that that sacrificial agape love that asks for nothing in return. That's how we're to love one another. And the third command that he'd just given is found at the beginning of chapter 14 in verse 1. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. This is in the imperative. This is a command. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in me. So those are the three commands that he had just given the disciples. And again, we know that it goes beyond that. Where obedience means all of his commands, all that he taught, all that he said. But his emphasis, don't miss this, his emphasis is on love. It's on love. Love for God. Love for others. That's what it boils down to. But here's the thing. Jesus knew that there was no way that his disciples or us, there's no way that we can do this perfectly on our own. That's why he asked the Father to send this advocate. Now, the New International Version translates this advocate. The Greek word is the Greek word parakletos. And I think a better translation, we see this in the English Standard Version, a better translation is helper or helping presence. So we need this presence in order to be obedient. Jesus understood that. He understood that his disciples, and and not just those that were with him that night, but all disciples for all time, cannot 
be obedient to his commands without help. He knew that God's presence and power was necessary in order to be obedient and in order to keep his commands. So God the Son promised to pray to God the Father to ask for the giving of God the Holy Spirit to believers. What do you see there? That's a Trinitarian expression, right? That's the Trinity right there. In this statement, Jesus is reinforcing the truth of the Trinity and demonstrating how the three work in concert for the good of God's people. So, when we, when we look at this in light of our question for this morning, do we need the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. We need the Holy Spirit in order to be obedient to God's commands. We cannot love one another. We cannot care for one another. We cannot keep God's commands without help. And our helper... Our advocate is found only in the Holy Spirit. And there's another promise in here. This Holy Spirit, this helper, this advocate won't just be with us in this world. But Jesus tells us that he will be with us forever. The Holy Spirit is eternal. The Holy Spirit is God. Then at the beginning of verse 17, Jesus says, The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, a couple things I want to note here really quickly. The first is that the world cannot accept him because, as we talked about last week, the world is focused on the wisdom of the world, right? Knowledge, worldly wisdom, worldly knowledge, not on the wisdom of God. But, but followers of Christ, it's different. We will not only know the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is with us and is in us. And, and one other thing that I want us to notice is how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit. Because if, if you don't pay attention, you might, this might just kind of blow right past you here. But four times, four times just in that verse, he uses a pronoun, him, right? He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for another pronoun, he lives with you and will be in you. Is the Holy Spirit a person? Absolutely. Just like God the Father, just like Jesus, God the Son. The Holy Spirit is a person. And he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is reassuring his disciples. This was a really difficult time for the disciples. Because if you remember, Jesus has been telling them that he's going to die. Right? Three times he's told them that he must be rejected and killed. This had to be difficult for the disciples, difficult at the very least. They've spent three years with this guy, and now he's leaving him? But he says, I will come to you. Now that phrase, I will come to you, has several levels of meaning, but 
at the first level, it means I will rise from the dead. I will not leave you as orphans. Then he goes on to say, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you, realize, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and will show myself to them. Again, several levels here that Jesus is referring to, but twice he says that he will reveal himself to his disciples. And again, this was absolutely true at the resurrection because he would reveal himself after the resurrection, but this also applies after he ascends up into heaven. After he ascends up into heaven, Jesus was going to reveal himself in a more powerful, in a more real way than when he was on earth. They would see him in an even greater way than with physical sight. He would reveal himself, how? Stay with me, through the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit that would reveal Jesus after he departed. And not only would they see Jesus, but because Jesus lives, they would continue to live through the work of the Holy Spirit. The disciples' lives with Jesus was not coming to an end. It was not coming to an end. They would continue in greater measure by the power of the Holy Spirit. So question. Is this something that's available to us today? I mean, can we see Jesus? You know, will he reveal himself to us in very real and very powerful ways? Can we live in Jesus and have Jesus live in us? Can we experience the true presence of Christ? Absolutely we can. But we need the Holy Spirit, to reveal the truth and the reality of Jesus to us. And then in verse 22, we see a little bit more uncertainty because Judas says, then, it says, then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Judas here asks what really seems to be a pretty good question. How is this possible? How, after Jesus departs, could he reveal himself to the disciples, but not to the world? In his answer, Jesus repeats the themes that we've seen in previous verses. Again, Jesus would be revealed to and through the disciples by love. And by obedience, obedience to his commands. And this, this fellowship, this, this, this union with the Father and Son 
that's made possible only by the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. See, that's how the Father and Son come to us and make their home with us. They live within us. We need the Holy Spirit to experience and enjoy the fellowship of the Father and the Son in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit. And Jesus continues to teach about the Holy Spirit in verses 25 through 27. He says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now Jesus had spent three years with these guys and he taught them quite a bit. But what he's saying here is that the learning is not over. The learning is just beginning. Because this helper that Jesus has referred to several times now, the helper that the Father will send, the Holy Spirit, will teach all things. Will teach all things. The work of the Holy Spirit would continue what Jesus began. The Holy Spirit teaches us today. That's a part of godly learning. And not only does the Spirit teach, but He helps to remember all that Jesus said. And the remembrance, that was very important for the disciples. And it was not only for their benefit, but it was for the benefit of the writing of the Gospels. The Holy Spirit worked in and through them in the hearts and the minds of the apostles and brought to remembrance all that Jesus said and taught. The Gospels, the whole New Testament, the whole of Scripture, friends, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the Word of God. And this promise, friends, is for us today as well. The Holy Spirit will teach us. And the Holy Spirit will help us to remember, but there's a caveat, right? If we take the time to study it. And ask the Holy Spirit to work in us, to teach us, and to help us remember. And then Jesus extends peace to them. This is a pretty standard greeting, but he says, My peace I leave with you. Not like the world's peace, but the peace that, that only comes from God, that shalom, right? That deep contentment, that satisfaction that comes only from God, regardless of our circumstances. He leaves his peace as well. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 28 and 29, he says, You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, 
you will believe. Now, isn't it kind of hard to imagine that it's better that Jesus would be departed than to be here physically? I mean, it seems that it it would be better if he was here, right, with us. But if we come to understand the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is what we're trying to do in this series of messages, we're trying to understand the Holy Spirit, all about the Holy Spirit and the power and all that the Holy Spirit does, when we know the Spirit better, we will have to agree with Jesus that it's better that he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, intervening for us up there as our perfect high priest. Because we've got the power of the Holy Spirit with us. And Jesus finishes this chapter by telling us that he gives up his life and he departs willingly. He says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. See, Satan didn't win in this situation. This was not a win for Satan because Satan has no hold over Jesus. But just as Jesus has been telling us that we demonstrate our love for him by being what? Obedient, right? Jesus models this obedience perfectly for us. And he does that by doing what the Father had sent him to do. To lay down his life for us. And he was able to do that, friends, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with Jesus. The Holy Spirit was in Jesus. So do we need the Holy Spirit? I think we've seen that the answer is yes! Exclamation point! We need the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, not only to reveal the truth about the gospel, but we need the Holy Spirit living in us in order to have any hope of being obedient to His commands. We need the Holy Spirit to help us love one another, to care for one another, to serve one another. We need the Holy Spirit to give us the gift of faith, faith in God, faith in Jesus as our Creator, our Savior. And as we seek to grow in our knowledge of God, and and that's our goal, right? Godly learning. Only the Holy Spirit can teach us. And only the Holy Spirit can help us to understand the truth of God's word and bring to remembrance what we read and what we learn. Do we need the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes. And I want to close with Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus again. Close with this prayer last week, but I want to close with it again because because this is exactly what we're trying to do. So close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray that God may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. We pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope 
to which He has called us, the riches of His glorious inheritance in us, His holy people, and His incomparably great power through the Holy Spirit for us who believe. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people agreed and said, Amen.